Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everybody, it's another edition of Black Coffee and Theology. And on the pod today, I'm going to be talking about theology and the nature of the term theologian, especially answering the question, who gets to do theology? And I am very excited to dig into this topic because it is relevant to who we are as theologians, who we deem theologians. And often there seems to be uh, pushback when we uh, use terms like public theologians and there seems to be a lot of notoriety. There seems to be uh, a lot of subtweeting. There seems to be uh, all of these ambiguous metrics that we think about when we think about the term theologian. And so on the pod, I just want to get into it. Uh, of course, the things that I will say are not subjective. Neither did God and God's self descend and tell me that these things are authoritative. But I aim to bring clarity to what we think about when we say theology and theologian. And hopefully coming away from this pod, there will be greater discussions and greater clarity, right? And so later in the pod, you're going to hear a bit of a piece of a writing that I did Robert Monson, the theologian, <laughs> and um, it's from a work that hopefully will be released in the future uh, on some scholarship that I did concerning uh, Onesimus and uh, Philemon. So sit back and relax and let's get into it. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. So at this point in the podcast, I suppose I shall take a step back to frame what I believe theology is and who gets to do theology. So obviously the word theology, for the sake of our conversation today and for the sake of our podcast moving forward, refers to the study of the nature of God and religious belief, right? And at a a later date, I will go into more depth of the type of theology and the theological work that I do in particular. Hint right now, uh, I am studying uh, black liberation and womanist uh, thought right now. That's a lot of what I do in particular right now, but I do a lot of study outside of that. Um, um, I'm interested in a lot of things, but I will go more in depth in that later. But I want to frame this conversation around the study of the nature of God and religious belief. That is what theology is in general. But is that definition enough? Is it enough to say that that generalized definition is enough? Do we all agree that that is what theology is? I think history, globally, 
or even centering just church history would say, no, just having that simple definition is not enough. Disagreements, uh, both in, inside and outside of church context, would paint for us the image that we all don't agree on what theology is or how it should be uh, practiced. Wars have been fought over theological disagreements. We all cannot come to um, a consensus on what clear biblical, quote-unquote, um, thinking is or what theological correctness is. Uh, councils have come to blows <laughs> over what uh, clarity on theological doctrines have been or even who gets to stand in the theological um, uh, hierarchy um, and, and, and to determine what the theology gets to be, right? And so it is in that very spirit that I want to offer some thoughts, right? And so this is my podcast. And um, and once you get your own, you can post some thoughts into the ether as well. Uh, and so I will sketch out a few thoughts and I will give some metrics that I believe can be helpful in moving forward with the term theologian as well. So I like what Catherine Keller has to say and what she says that when it comes to theology, that theology is a truth process and that truth process and that ongoing truth process and approaching it that way rather than theology being a set of truths that we believe is important. I believe that approaching theology in that way moves it out of the realm of cerebral things that we assert about God, and there's a more organic life flow there, right? She also talks about that theology is a, a question-driven a question driven thing, rather, uh, quest. Um, I'll say that again, theology is a question-driven quest, and I like that because it's that question-driven organic flow that drives us to ask questions about the divine. Uh, understanding and comprehending the divine, yes, is a serious matter, but one of the ways that we do that is by asking sobering questions about the divine. And it is not to be dominated. Uh, we cannot dominate God, beloved. <laughs> and I think one of uh, the things that saddens me is often the topic of theology comes up in, depending on who has studied and read a few more books, it feels as if they have comprehended the divine to the point that they can begin to assert and they dominance over others, right? I also like something that Paul Tillich asserts and in, in, insists that faith necessarily isn't the opposite of doubt, right? And I like that because sometimes it appears in our quest for God and understanding the divine that faith and doubt uh, seem to be juxtaposed with each other. And he says, 
famously, if faith is understood as belief that something is true, doubt is incompatible with the act of faith. If faith is understood as being ultimately concerned, doubt is a necessary is a necessary element in it. It is a consequence of the risk of faith. And and so in that there's a beauty in doubt. Uh and there's a sacredness in doubt, right? And sometimes in certain strains of Christianity, it seems that uh, uh, the Christian life and the approach for theology, that certainty makes up what we believe in that if you can understand God, that there are all these boxes of certainties that we are building upon one another and that things are not nice and neat and that doubt is being cast away. And uh, I don't know that God. <laughs> so often the approach to theology, to the divine, at least in Christians, in some Christian circles has become a list of cerebral and verbal assertions. This is what God is painted out to be, and this is what God isn't. The creeds, the councils, our worship songs, our books, our evangelism models, sketch out for us clearly who God is. God then becomes approachable, and dare I say, tame. In this, we also find a certain rhythm of tradition. Those who set to pontificate about the divine go through the narrow doors that we uh, prescribe for them. This is a particularly chilling thing depending on whoever is the dominant ruler, so to speak, in theology. In our American context, those rulers tend to be white males. And what is odd about this is uh, those white males tend to be ascribed this title of theologian or scholar, sometimes with very little interrogation, just vibes. Uh <laughs> And so it is in that vein now that I move to uh, two people in scripture that I admire that I would deem as theologians, right? So Job as theologian wrestling with the concepts of God and who God is, who, who he knew God to be, who he thought God to be, who he who God wasn't to him and asking questions of the, the divine wrestling with really hard situations in his life. And he questioned immensely, right? So we have Job. We also have Hagar as theologian naming God with just the audacity and the clarity, giving God this name. And there's, and some might even dare ask, who gave this woman authority to intuit the divine? And she took the authority herself to look around her with the resources 
that she had within herself, ascertaining who it was she was speaking to, and she named (laughs) this being, and it's beautiful to me. And she didn't go to any seminary. She used the vastness of her life experience, and, and here she was, speaking in to the the void between her and God and it's beautiful to me. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. What's in my cup? Today I've got some more fresh puck. Roybos tea. So roibos tea is what I have in my cup today. And mm, with a little bit of honey. Actually, uh, that's a lie, beloved. A lot of bit of honey. And some half and half. And two bags of that roibos. Mm. Mm. My Lord on today. Amen and amen. So in that uh, vein, I have um, a few characteristics that I think are worth noting of when I think about the word theologian. I think there is a distinction between the word theologian and scholar. And I'll, I'll explain why. But theologian. There are five characteristics that I think are important for theologians. Number one, rigorous study. It does not have to be in a seminary setting, but rigorous study. Two, connection to culture. It is important that one has a connection to culture uh, because how can one rightly apply their studies. <laughs> um, they have to have a culture they're speaking into. Um, yeah. Three, humility. Woo! A theologian without humility. Yikes. <laughs> uh, four, a prayer life. Uh, the ability to be able to study the nature of God and religious belief into it, the divine, and then connect that back in prayer. I think helps to work out humility in a theologian and five, the ability to apply studies to one's surroundings. I think all of these are important because seminaries have not been accessible to all people. And I think sometimes People um, ascribe theologian and scholar, and I think there is a bit of a distinction because I I believe that there is a rigor to scholarship and scholar, um, and there's a bit of a privilege that sometimes isn't explicitly named there. Uh, Not everyone can afford to go to school and be trained as a scholar. Everyone has the ability to... uh, 
intuit the divine and everyone can study they might not be able to study to the same depths as someone with an mdiv or an ma but they can study one of the things that i love doing is making theology accessible to all that's one of the reasons why i studied that i started this podcast um but people can study they can intuit the divine um, we our, our Bible is filled with um, people who uh, intuited the divine uh, without uh, seminary degrees, right? Um, so it's important we have these metrics, right? And that those metrics make sense for all people, right? And so I am very adamant about calling uh, everyone a theologian, not everyone can be called scholar. Um, I think they're important. Why is it important? Um, why is it important to have these metrics? Um, I think, number one, it stops shenanigans and opens up the theological table at the same time. Um with opening up the table, there are, are all of these vast uh, resources and all of these vast perspectives that come into the theological space that I realize all may not be happy about. But um, there's something that we can learn when the theological space is open, when we realize that all have the ability to come and approach God and ask questions about God and assert things about God. Are they all created equal? Maybe uh, not. Uh, one can make the case that maybe not. But I have learned things from someone who is not a Christian or someone who is new in their faith as much as I have from a seminary professor. And I love being able to stoke the flames of curiosity in a young heart. And a curious heart and a tender heart that's humble, that's open to study, and that's has a prayer life and that's willing to learn. And um, it's important. And some may say, who asked this brother on this podcast? Um, me. Uh, I think with the way that our world is and the way that we're all becoming connected, uh, that theological table has to open up. <laughs> and um, some may say it's risky to call all, uh, a multitude of people theologians. Well, I would say we have our Bible, again, that is full of people that did not have credentials, but they were daring for God. They were open to communicating with God, for God, to God. And they might not have had all the pretty language. They might not have been um, as eloquent as some, but they made it into the good book. <laughs> and so, yes, uh, our job, the our job as people who are endeavoring to grow in the knowledge of God, and maybe we do have credentials, our job should not be closing down the gates. We should be opening the gates wide to give more and more resources to all, right? And so that's my particular bent. Again, I think there is honor to be given to those who obtain PhDs, to those who um, 
retain titles um, because those are not easy. There is a level of specificity there, uh, and we give honor and weight to that. At the same time, there are there are a lot of ways that um, the the title theologian has been co-opted um, to only mean those who get this narrow le- level of um, prestige. And I don't think that it only has to mean that. And so with that said, what I think about the, the phrase, <laughs> the, t- the term theologian and the, the term theology, I set that here and it is part of why on this podcast I will sit with all types of people from the scholars to the quote unquote lay people to those who are newly out of seminary to worship leaders to um, all types of people. It's because I have respect for all of the ways that people um think about God, understand God. Um, and I'll have authors, I'll have poets on the podcast. Um, and all to me bring something valuable to the theological space. So amen and amen. Freeing Onesimus in the letter to Philemon, let the man speak for himself by Robert Monson. Onesimus, my brother, I wish that my words here could do justice in illuminating who you are. We are in an age that needs the voices of those who have been silenced to be unmuted. I wish that Paul could have included some of your thoughts, dreams, and desires in a way that we could have known what you wanted. That is what true liberation is all about. Amen. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for, for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.